America is in trouble. We've turned our backs on God, forsaken our history, and too easily succumbed to tyrannical orders. Our problem seems overwhelming, but the solution is simple. It's time we return to the Lord in strict adherence to the Constitution of the United States. Welcome to the Constitution Solution, one podcast under God. We're your hosts, Mark Deluzio and Christy Tyrone. Now, let's get on with the show. Hi, welcome to the Constitution Solution. Mark Deluzio, Christy Tyrone. Christy, this one we're going to talk about, I guess this is our third episode, checks and balances and the three branches of government. We're going to cover these kind of like an overview to get people familiar with the framework and what the guys, the guys, the the founders were thinking when, uh, <laughs> when they put these checks and balances together. But I want to, I'm going to start Christy by talking about John Adams. Okay. John so Adams cool. rejected the notion of the innate goodness of man. Yeah. Sounds familiar. Who mm. else thinks that, uh, you know, it's a whole notion of Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. And, especially when it comes to government. And I think we could probably relate to that quite well today. But this is what he said. To expect self-denial from men when they have a majority in their favor and consequently power to gratify themselves is to disbelieve all history and universal experience. It is to disbelieve revelation and the word of God, which informs us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And that comes from Jeremiah 17, 9. There is no man so blind as not to see that to talk of founding a government upon a supposition that nations and great bodies of men left to themselves where produce a course of self-denial is either to babble like a newborn infant or to deceive like an unprincipled imposter. In other words, he's calling BS on this whole notion that everybody's going to be good boys and girls. And also I think James Madison said, if, if men were angels, we'd need no government. I just got to say, I love John Adams sass. He's just always got the, he just tells people like it is. And he's he's never he was never worried about hurting somebody's feelings, you could say. So, Christy, um, we're going to talk about the first three articles. We talked about the articles in the overview. But the first three articles really lay out the three branches of government. And, uh, you know, if you look at the three articles, the first article was all dedicated to the legislative branch, which basically encom- encompasses uh, Congress what we refer to as the House of Representatives or Congress and the Senate. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the legislative branch. And by the way, of the 4,543 words in the Constitution, 50% of those words are dedicated to Article 1. That was, the founders thought, the most critical branch where we write laws, and we'll get more into that in a minute, than any of the other branches, and probably where the most, I don't know, tyranny could resonate from okay it's also it's also like the direct voice of the people too so you have the most representation of the people right exactly in there right too. exactly yeah. right exactly. A little bit that's, of both. that's that's where they would get that right mm-hmm. article two was the executive branch and otherwise known as the president and the administration of the whole government 
And that was 1,025 words or 23%. So right there, Article 1 and Article 2 represents almost three quarters of the Constitution, if you want to count words. Mm-hmm. And then Article 3 is the judicial branch, which is basically the Supreme Court. That only represented 8% of the content, 377 words of the Constitution. Never being all these branches are equally important, but just to give you a feel for the types of things, and we'll talk about why in a minute, why Article 1, the legislative branch, was so wordy, <laughs> if you want to think 2,000 yes. words is wordy, because it's not. Um, but in general, in perspective of the whole Constitution, it made up 50% of the seven articles. Article 1 was 50%. So it's fun how you broke down the numbers there. You're always good at the the math, the numbers, the percentages, but that's a really cool way to look at it. Cause it kind of, like you said, though they're equally um, and equal in might, but then the, the care that was needed to designate each of their boundaries was, was obviously very different. And they, and they use powerful words too, that were very economical from that respect. So mm-hmm. Maybe they could do this whole podcast in four episodes when we're going to take <laughs> thousands. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, anyway. I also want to point out with those three branches that this is um, a Bible verse that our founders knew and looked at when they were creating these three branches of government is from Isaiah thirty-three twenty-two, where it says, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. So God is all three right? God is all three branches in one entity. And um, our founders believe that no man should have all three of those where the king did, he got to do all that stuff as one guy. And that's kind of typical throughout governments of history, where you have your emperors, your kings, your pharaohs, where they're like, they're calling the shots on all fronts. So our founders didn't want to do that. And that Bible verse was a big part of what kind of pinned that out for them. Yeah, and a lot of those uh, monarchies, if you will, I think we discussed this at another uh, in a previous uh, episode, not only controlled what you might call the government, but they also co- controlled the church. Yes. And sometimes it's really hard to delineate between the two, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, so they were very careful with the First Amendment to make sure that the government had no say on the establishment or the prohibition of any religion. Right. Um, okay, so let's talk about the purposes of of of, of these three branches uh, and why did they do that? The founders didn't trust mankind. Let's just put it that way. They knew okay. how. And if you went back to what Adam said earlier, okay, and they want to put as many checks and balances in the Constitution as possible to prevent any one piece of government from being corrupt. You might ask today, well, how well did that work, right? But we can talk more about that later. Um, And they also wanted to avoid creating amendments that were not in concert with the spirit of the Constitution. And that always, by the way, didn't work out all that well. Uh, But, uh, for example, slavery, uh, well, that wasn't an amendment, but the prohibition was. And uh, so there are things in the Constitution that, ended up seeking its way through. But the Articles of Confederation, which preceded the Constitution, gave too much power to the executive branch. And it's Mm -hmm. funny because Thomas Jefferson Christie was a uh, more of a big government guy before until he became governor of Virginia. And he was mid-war. 
I was looking up the dates. It's like during the war that he was governor. Yeah, yeah, and and but but he he found he found out that the the, the articles provided too much power to the states, and and that the the articles of confederation was just were not enforceable, or they were just easily ignored, and that brought him back on the other side of being a what we call a federalist or a guy that wanted limited government, right? And that's where he and Adams kind of split ways. Adams was a big government guy, and and they had a big rift for quite a good part of their life. Interestingly enough, you, know, you might know this, but uh, Adams and Jefferson died on the same day, July 4th. Uh, geez, I can't remember the year now, but they died on exactly the same day, which was it's the 50 year anniversary of declaring of, of, of the of the declaration. Right. Yes. Right. So so no one branch can have too much power. That was the whole notion of, of these checks and balances in these three branches. OK, now the branches do have overlapping uh, powers, however. Because they have to be able to hold each other in check. So, for example, the legislative branch or, you know, the Congress and the Senate can impeach the president, which is the executive branch. The president, who, who is the executive branch, can can veto a bill that's passed by the Senate and, and the Congress or the legislative branch. Right. And the judicial branch can ability to, has the ability to declare laws unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. So. Here are all the checks and balances between all three of these these guys. So in order to you know have coercion, you have to you have to collude if you you know with with all these branches together to make it happen. So they try to make it very difficult to do that. Now, one of the things you'll hear a lot about is the enumerated powers in the Constitution, which basically means they're documented and they're written in the Constitution, versus implied powers. And I think, Christy, it's implied powers where we get ourselves in trouble to a degree because how we view what's implied in the Constitution is sometimes subject for a big debate. <laughs> but the numerary powers are specifically listed and implied are those that are implied by the government, which unfortunately led to these what we call three-letter agencies, which we'll have a whole separate you know podcast on later on. Uh, an example is this whole general welfare clause. The general welfare clause was meant to mean, and if you go back and really research this, the general welfare of the nation, not of each individual. But a lot of legislation got passed and agencies created to take care of individuals within our nation that basically turned into the confiscation of property from one citizen and giving it to another. Okay. And I would say 60, they say 70%. And sooner or later, I'll get the right number on that of our federal budget is transfer payments, Christy. So they, that were, were taken from you and given to your neighbor. Okay. Therefore um, uh, owning them both. Like you said in the last. Yeah. When that happens, the government owns you both and they have Mm -hmm. power and control over you both when that Mm -hmm. is allowed to happen. And that's one of the reasons why we ended up, you know, with, where we are today with with the with the uh, obtrusive government that the founders did not want to happen. But by the way, um, Christy, we're going to do words matter episode because, and maybe you want to just talk about that just for a second and talk about what what why do words matter and what is that all about with Webster and all that. So Noah Webster is considered one of our founding fathers, though he he didn't sign any of the documents or anything. But um, kind of behind the scenes, he was working on 
um, among the many different books he did and things he did to forward um, the education of or American youth at the time, he was um, he wanted to write. He wrote the dictionary. We have the 1828 Noah Webster dictionary that he dedicated his life to, to kind of encapsulate the American language at the time. And so we can really look and see the words that our founders used in these documents and really get a, the essence of their what they meant when, in writing them according to what's um, how the words are recorded in the Webster Dictionary. And uh, yeah, we'll do a whole thing on that, a whole show on Words Matter itself and learn more about Noah Webster and his partner founding. And then along the way, we'll probably do a few different episodes under the Words Matter um uh, banner, if you will, kind of digging into the details on specific phrases that have been taken and mutilated and marred to destroy our heritage. You're not going to get into pronouns, are you? I'm sorry. I, I, could, I <laughs> we'll couldn't see what I Webster says. <laughs> I couldn't resist. Well, a, a good example is that is bear arms. When it says the right to bear arms, the word bear arms, what the founders meant back then was handheld. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So why can't I have a automatic weapon if it's handheld, right? But we'll get more into the Second Amendment at another time. So let's talk about the uh, Article One, the legislative branch, Christy. It's it's it consists basically of two branch, two pieces, if you will, the House of Representatives, which we refer to as Congress, and the Senate. Okay, and many times those bodies together are are referred to as Congress. So sometimes it gets a little bit confusing. But Congress has right now. Per law, 435 uh, uh, members, 435 members that are apportioned by the census. So basically, in, in, in the simplest terms, every year, every 10 years we do a census, we take that number and divide it by 435, and that's how many districts we have uh, in each state. So let's take the state of Arizona, for example, divided by your 435, I'm sorry, divided by, once you figure out how many people in a district they will look at your population and back into how many districts, congressional districts you will have. And there's a whole process in terms of how we draw the lines and all that. We're not going to get into that. Now, that 4035 can be changed. Okay. Yeah, because that right number's now, not written into the Constitution. No, it's not written in the Constitution, but it is what it is by law today. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Senate, however, uh, is consistent of uh, two senators per state. Right. And, yeah. and so, so that's an equal yep. that's an equal balance of power because that's one of the things the founders debated about. One of the many things they debated about in creating the constitution was the little states with less population were like, hey, why should you know a bigger state like uh, Virginia get to have more power in, in the Congress than we do, you know? And so they went uh back and forth on that and decided on t- the both, the two houses, because then the uh, um, House of Representatives with the 435, which obviously wasn't the number then, but um, you have a closer representation to the people. So you, like in Arizona, we have nine. So we're broken up into nine districts. So we have our one rep in our district that covers so much ground. Our district is actually really large and, and you know, square footage. Um, but that way you can talk to your guy and be like, hey, I need this or that. This matters to me. Vote yes, vote no. You're very closely, you know, related on a more personal level with your house rep than your state. So then the balance comes in with the Senate. So every state has two senators, no matter what their population is like Montana or not Montana. I'm sorry. Wyoming has the smallest population, and but they still have two senators. I think California. 
California is California, I think is the most populated state and it has the, still has two senators. So it doesn't matter. So in the Senate, every state, but they have, but they have uh, over 40, I believe uh, congressmen too. Right. So that's, and again, yeah, California has like 50, 50 oh, something. 50? Okay. Yeah. It's up. Yeah. To, yeah they yeah. lost two after the last census. Well, they're going to lose more too, based on what's yep. going on there, but let's, let's, uh, let's uh, move on from. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that way the founders decided on doing the two houses. So you have the one that's population based and the one that's state based. So it's a pretty good balance of getting everybody's point across on a more equal playing field. Yeah. And, and, and again, you know, let's just talk about why do we have a legislative branch is to pass laws by yes. That are in concert, by the way, with the Constitution. And and uh, uh, Congress must act within the confines of enumerated powers. And there's several of them. And we're going to talk about enumerated powers of Congress in another episode. But Congress just can't pass any law that they wish. They have to work within the confines of these enumerated powers. All right. Now, they don't always do that. And a good example is when they passed Obamacare. Yeah, that's not in the There's balance. nothing in the Constitution that provides for the tax dollars going to your health care. Okay. Yep. Uh, and you can argue Social Security is the same way. Okay. And there's so many other things that we pass. But more on that later. Okay. But that was the intent of the legis- legislative branch. And by the way, a law has to pass both houses, the Senate and the House, in order to be presented to the president for a signature or for veto. Okay. And, and, and we'll in get... that, the, um, the house has the power of the purse. They're the ones that decide the, the monies. All bills into... that are, have to do with spending money have to resonate, have to begin in the, in the Congress, in the house of representatives. They cannot be, begin in the Senate. Now the Senate can opine on those bills and make amendments to them and put them back and forth between committees to be able to work out their wishes. Okay. Uh, but, but that's, and by the way, one more thing about the Senate, it used to be such that the, the Senate's, the Senate senators were elected by the state legislatures and that changed now. And I don't think it was a good change, but, but but it's now, now, yeah, yeah, I think it was the 17th amendment and, 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 uh, we can check that, but, but now it's it's voted in just like a congressman has voted in and there are pros and cons to that i think there are more cons to it than pros but we will talk about that in a subsequent episode um now let's talk about article two the executive branch basically the executive branch is the president and uh all executive power is vested basically think about the president as the chief executive officer of the country and uh the president is responsible for the execution and running um, uh, the government. I mean, that's w- what they do, amongst other things. But um, but anyway, I know I know, Chrissy. We, you and I talked about the fact that uh, the founders feared this unchecked power with one person, like the well, yeah, they just came off of a bad monarchy, right? So they didn't want another king, and so they kind of agreed that like we probably should have some kind of executor. But they were really debating the power how much you should have how much you shouldn't what we're going to do with that and so they really wrangled this one in with a hard harness to make sure that this president wasn't going to take advantage of them or be able to and um, another kind of fun note is they even argued about the name what what should we call this executor and so they didn't want to do king you know they want to do your highness your majesty because 
this was a government, you know, but we, the people were this government. And so they didn't want to put this um, executor up on this high horse, um, golden throne above everybody else. And in the end, um, it was George Washington. It was like, you know what? Well, they decided to go by president. And he said, Mr. President will do. He didn't want to be anything fancy or flashy. So that's how we ended up with the title of president for the executive branch. Yeah, it's a great story, you know. And, and what is the executive branch supposed to do? Uh, first of all, they're responsible for enforcing the law. They don't write law. Enforcing enforce the law, it. exactly. They don't write law, um, and that's in the in the oath of office. Okay, uh, but the mm-hmm. president takes the oath to uphold the Constitution and the laws of the land. Uh, is that happening today? No. Um, they can either approve or they being the president can either approve or veto laws that are passed and presented to him after they pass the both house and the Senate. Okay. Now, if the president vetoes a particular bill, that bill, that veto can be overridden. If, if there are enough votes, two thirds votes in the house and in the Senate to override the veto. Okay. Um, The president can also just not do anything and it will become law. And that's kind of a, a uh, cowardly way to pass a law where you say, well, I didn't sign that bill, right? Um, yeah. Um, manage the day-to-day operations of the, of the government, okay? Uh, the president, of course, I think we all know, is the commander-in-chief of the military. Uh, they can grant reprieve and pardons. And I happen to know somebody who was pardoned by the president, my good buddy, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, uh, who, yeah, you, yeah. who I introduced you to, Christy. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, he uh, his pardon is right on his office wall. It's kind of cool to see it. Really he cool. has it framed and everything. Um, he can make treaties with two thirds of the Senate approval, nominate ambassadors, Supreme Court judges, and of course, the Senate has to consent on the nomination before they become uh judges or or what have you. And he's required, I'm saying he right now because we never had a female, but he's required to provide Congress with the State of the Union once a year. And it doesn't have to be a big speech like it was the other night. It could be a written document. It could be anything he wants it to be. But bottom line is, though, that's kind of the protocol now to get up in front on national TV, uh, like our our president did the other night, and and give that uh, that State of the Union address. So that's, that's Article 2. That's the executive branch. So we've got the legislative branch, and which writes law, the executive branch was supposed to enforce the law. This is why the FBI and the Department of Justice, all that reports up through the president. Article three, the judicial branch. This is the shortest one, Christy, I said earlier in terms of the three branches, the three articles, 377 words, and that's it. And bottom line is um, they determine the constitutionality of our laws. So that's yeah. the check and, and balance against the legislature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, it's funny. People say, oh, that's a lifetime appointment. Yeah. The Constitution says as long as you behave, they actually use the word behave in the yeah, you know, judges, shall, judges shall hold their offices during good behavior. I think it's so cool that you pointed that out because that's like kind of a little known thing because we think they have this lifetime appointment. They're there forever. They usually stay there till they die. Um, and since you brought that up, I just did a little research last night that's going to lead into a whole other episode now because it just like opened this can <laughs> of 
history. But uh, Samuel Chase was a Supreme Court justice. He was actually appointed by George Washington. And he was there was a whole impeachment um, attempt that went on with him. He actually was impeached through the House, but then the Senate uh, let him go. But it was it's a show. It's a juicy story that really set a lot of precedent for the Supreme Court going forward. So we'll have a lot of fun later talking about the exciting life of Samuel Chase and his Supreme Court service. Well, maybe we should have an episode called the National Enquirer. Yeah. Of the All Constitution. The right, exactly. I'll cover those ones. Talk about these really good. <laughs> yeah. And there there are some really good stories out there, by the way. I've I've also read myself. Um Okay, so that's the Samuel Chase impeachment attempt anyway in 1805. Um, now, the duty, the duties, again, adjudicate the constitutionality of the laws of the United States, right? Um, they can't legislate from the bench, Christy, and this is something that we are going to have a separate ep- episode on. And one of the probably perhaps best examples of that was Roe versus Wade. When the, was it 1973? Where the, where the, where, where the, yeah, yeah, where, where, where the, the Supreme Court actually wrote law about the trimesters and and what states can that they actually wrote law from the bench and that was so uh, uh, unbelievably um, uh, wrong, egregious, <laughs> egregious. Okay, just take the morality out of the issue, just in general, it was out of bounds. They were just they out of bounds, unconstitutional, that. and that's a lot of things that people, you know, the, the abortion, pro-abortion people didn't get was whether or not it was uh, you agree with abortion or not, which, of course, you and I don't, but whether or not you do or not is irrelevant to the fact it was unconstitutional. Exactly. Okay. That's the point. And and that's what people just did not see, right? Mm -hmm. And there were so many misunderstandings about how our country works on the whole vote. The whole Roe v. Wade thing alone could be an episode. And is it an episode? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, because... We're going there. Well, there's a lot of lessons there. And it's really not... It's really not our attempt to, to to talk about abortion per se at this point, but to talk about using that as a guinea pig to show how misinterpreted the Constitution is and how our citizens are just unbelievably misinformed about the framework of our country. It's a really good case study for that purpose. Okay, it really is. No matter what side of the abortion equation you're on, okay, it doesn't matter. But let's just finish off on the on the on the judicial branch. So so you know what we're talking about here is that they 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 re- re- resolve controversies between uh, whenever the United States is a party, okay, is sued or for whatever, between two or more states, between a state and the citizens of another state, and also the citizens of between the citizens of different states and the citizens of the same state. A lot of times, citizens have a, an agreeance, a, a grievance with 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 the state, whether it's their state or some other state, and then they have appellate ju- jurisdiction, of course, on all these above matters. Okay, so you can appeal to the Supreme Court if you don't like a lower ruling in the uh, in the at the state level. So, but there's a lot of that going on right now with the Second Amendment, like in New York and such. Um, so, when we cover the Second Amendment, we can have all kinds of fun with the. Oh yeah, uh, legalistic stuff that's going on around it with the Supreme oh, yeah. Court's involvement. Another good case study, right? Another mm-hmm. good case study. So, laws are complex, okay, and making laws is very complex, and it's a long process. And the founders intended it to be that way. Yes. Why? The slow pace allowed citizens 
the opportunity to influence the law. If you're yeah, passing a law with it, time to read it, time to discuss it, and see what you think. Well, yeah, and there's some, there's some, there's. Some, as a matter of fact, if, if I had gotten to Congress, I would, I would, I would attempted to put a bill in that would have said that we have to have a certain amount of time per page, okay, uh, whatever that might be, and you can't, you know, load on 15, 20 bills at once that are a thousand pages long and expect to vote on them in a day and a half. By the way, you know, everybody can probably remember the Obamacare, uh, Nancy Pelosi statement, that Obamacare was over 2,000 pages and they got it at the last minute. And she said, well, we'll find out what's in it after we pass it. How can, I remember that. That's so garbage. Oh yeah. how, can, how can you actually take a two, 2,500, 3,000 page bill and... And and, and 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 understand it and then vote on it. You I mean, can't understand it, but you can vote on it, apparently. There was one guy that was running for um, Senate in Illinois, uh, and I was kind of following his campaign. But one of the things he wanted to do was um, make a bill that was said that a bill um, uh, that's written in Congress cannot be longer than the word count of the Constitution that grants you the power to write the bill. I love it. I was like, I love that. That would be so yeah. cool. So then we could actually. Well, by the them. way, by the way, the Congress can make their own rules in that regard. There's nothing to say that rule can't be put into place in terms of how you run the Congress. Mm-hmm. All right. And that's in the Constitution. Yes. So, uh, Christy, we're going to have a whole thing on these three letter agencies. We're going to talk a lot about the usurpation of, of power. The legislative branch, the Congress in particular, has given their, uh, handed over their power to these agencies that quite frankly are writing regulations outside the confines of the law mm-hmm. and these regulations have the power of law and you can go to jail they could take your house they could take your money they can find you they can jail you and now you have a agency that's writing regulations that you know for example I'll give you one example the CDC during this whole covid mess wrote a regulation that said a landlord cannot evict, the CDC of all people, cannot evict a tenant from their home during COVID. And a lot of landlords lost their homes. Yeah, because first of all, Congress doesn't have the right over your personal property in that way. They don't. And so you especially shouldn't have uh, an agency that was granted its power outside of the bounds to do things that affect your personal property. Yeah, I mean, you peel back the onion. Never Never mind was that regulation unconstitutional. But the agency itself is unconstitutional, like so many others that we will get into as time oh, yeah. goes on. Okay, so 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 this is where we're losing it. One of the reasons we're losing it as a country. Okay, and we will talk about that uh, uh, in detail um, uh, as we as we go through. So you know, I think talking about the Liberty Tree, if you will, oh. the whole visual and and what that looks like. What does that tree look like today, Christy? It's a mess. What's it supposed to look like, first of all? (laughs) It was beautiful with all the lanterns hanging on it. It was great. So they they used to gather in Boston was the first Liberty Tree. Um, During the Stamp Act, actually, was when it first became a thing. Anyways, um, but just now it's kind of like a symbol of the the Liberty Tree and what we stand for. But I was kind of thinking as I was going over this outline about um, the three branches of government. And so, like, if you picture this beautiful, you know, elm tree with its big three branches, um, spiraling out from the mighty trunk, you're like, okay, there's the three branches. It's very clear. But over time, 
um, those branches have gone unpruned. And so you have these little twigs coming off and there's leaves and there's dead leaves and there's, you know, this kind of growth and decay and everything like just the tree is a disaster. You can't even like see the three branches anymore through the mess that it's become. And so it's, it's high time that we, uh, get to prune in that Liberty tree and cleaning it up and getting it back to the original basis of what we're built on. You know, and, and, and again, in order for us to do this, people will lose some goodies that they're accustomed to today. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember Rush Limbaugh saying, it's really hard to beat Santa Claus, you know? So yeah. that's the challenge that we got because how do you get elected to, to do that? So anyway, um, so let me let me finish uh, with James Madison, who who was the primary author of the Constitution, and uh, although everybody opined on it and modified and all that, he was the primary author of the Constitution. Where Jefferson was the primary author of of the uh, Declaration of Independence, but Madison said, and this is relating to the three branches, Christy: the people are the only legitimate fountain of power, and it's from them that a constitutional charter under which the several branches of government hold their power is derived. I'm not sure that's true anymore. I'm not sure that's true anymore. And and well, it's, it's true. (laughs) It's still true. Well, it's still true, but is that our practice? Is that our practice? We've let it go. Yeah. Yeah. We've let it go. So we'll leave you with that quote, Christy. Thank you. And, and uh, for your input on this and, and uh, we'll leave you with that quote. And uh, we're going to get into a lot more gory detail on each, all these different aspects of the Constitution as time goes on. So I believe this is our third, technically our fourth, but it's it's episode 03. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one was episode 00 that talked more about the frame of us and why we're doing this. But episode 03, uh, the three branches and uh, a lot more to follow. So for Christy, oh, Tyrone, I'm Mark mm-hmm. Deluzio. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next time. God bless. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Constitution Solution, one podcast under God. You can find other episodes on our website at 1787solution.com, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're your hosts, Christy Tyrone and Mark Deluzio. Until next time, may God bless you and may God bless America. 